Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. It's actually appropriate that we're talking about addictions today because now that the sun has gone into Pisces and Pisces is kind of the ruler of addiction. (laughs) Seriously. Like, you know, whenever somebody comes to me and they talk to me about how they have an addiction or this is this is one of the funniest things (laughs) when I have a client who talks about, you know, oh, my. (laughs) you know i grew up with a father who's an alcoholic and i'm like what's his pisces placement (laughs) Mm. oh he's not pisces no i asked you what his pisces placement is Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's in his 12th house (laughs) yeah 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 the house of addiction Uh and it's also the house of religion Mm-hmm. 12th house Neptune in Neptune. the 12th house and now that Neptune is in Pisces mm-hmm. and you know I, addiction is the most appropriate topic for us to talk about Yeah, I mean everybody everyone has an addiction all humans have an addiction everybody I believe that the entire world is made up of addictions I agree I, I think agree that I think that the point at which addiction becomes unhealthy is the point at which either it impairs your pursuit and your purpose, or it creates a loop of self-judgment, wherein which you find yourself unable to function, find joy in the things that you would otherwise want to find joy in. Um, I think that that's when addiction becomes unhealthy. But I think that everyone is addicted to tons of things. Um you know, whatever their pursuits are, I think that constitutes addiction. I mean, literally, it's like if I think if you pursue feeling, if you pursue a dopamine release from something, and as we know, dopamine is like one of the central functions of how the brain operates, we need dopamine release in order to be able to live and actually like enjoy life. But you get dopamine from a ton of things. You you get it from literally everything from uh, you know, doing something nice for somebody to to uh, running a marathon, to running a marathon, which is healthy for your body too. Getting degree. a reward for being good at what the work is that you do. It's um, like kissing a fluffy furry pet. That's serotonin, actually. Oh, is but that, that serotonin? D- serotonin does play. <laughs> serotonin does. Yeah, serotonin is the the feeling of um love for something else. Oh, that's right. Yeah. See, I'm so I'm so serotonin right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling ultra, I'm feeling the ultra Piscean, watery, yeah, dreamy energy with Neptune in, in Pisces, and now the sun is finally in Pisces. In the Western, I truly do not feel that the sun entered Pisces when they say it did. I feel like it entered it just literally last night. I, I could feel the shift. Um, 
here's here's my current perception on addiction because this is not only my experience of over half a century in this body dealing with addictions from the very first addiction that I can remember that I realized this is probably not particularly healthy for my body is when I was very little and I remember because my parents in a very unhealthy way they loved to put ice cubes in beverages and of course I drank a lot of soda pop growing up which we called soft drinks at the time and they would put ice cubes in the soda pop and I enjoyed chewing the ice. I liked the sensation on my teeth and I liked the cold, which is kind of crazy considering I lived in the Great Lakes states where it's freezing about 10 months out of the year. But I recall that I had this feeling I might have been as young as five chewing the ice and feeling that it could possibly break my teeth and it might not be a good idea. But then the thought of, oh, but then I wouldn't have that feeling came upon me. And then I realized that I was looking forward to drinking the soda pop just for the ice and the sensation of carbonation burn on my tongue and frozen crunchy ice there was something about that and in my you know my virgo rising perception those little details were really important especially considering virgo rules my first house the house of the body and the self so and that escalated into just having ice period so by the time we moved to the suburb of minneapolis minnesota when i was in upper elementary school I would literally just go to the freezer because that refrigerator conveniently had an ice dispenser. I would get the ice and begin to chew it. And I learned how to chew ice from Nana, my mom. And she was chewing ice and we later learned she was chewing ice from having anemia, an iron deficiency. That is a common thing to chew ice when you have a mineral deficiency, especially anemia. Oh, why? What does it? What does it do? What's? The... I don't remember the details, and I'd looked it up. Like I've looked this up probably when you were little, and I can't remember what it is. But when you have a chocolate addiction, you have you can have a magnesium and an iron deficiency, and we're not talking cacao. We're mm-hmm. talking crap american waxy chocolate because i'm imagining obviously like chewing ice is not going to fix your anemia but no it, it, it shows that there's something. this it, it it what it does is it shows that there's some muscle there's some the muscle oh, okay. gets tight and it releases the tension whereas the iron and magnesium and like minerals will relax or strengthen your muscles and so when the muscles aren't getting their proper minerals there can be um, a sensation of relief from crunching. Wow. And um, it took me a long time 
to overcome this mineral deficiency so that I could let go of the what felt like an absolute necessity to chew ice every day. Yeah. And it was it was literally going into nutrition studies to learn that I needed to take not just minerals, but ionic minerals. The particles are smaller than a human cell so that my cells could absorb them. When I began taking ionic minerals, uh, I could very easily in one day let go of the need to chew ice. So I was, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were growing up, I was drinking juice every night and I put a bunch of ice in it. I, I, I don't remember that. I do remember that you really liked chewing ice. I remember that. Yep. Um, and part of it was frustration. Well, I, I was going to say, because I had a similar thing uh, with uh, biting my nails. Oh, I remember and, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the whole purpose behind biting your nails is to release tension and anxiety yeah. and so that was that was um it's actually one of the one of the few like bodily addictions that i like i worked really really hard to overcome it and i did actually i i did eventually overcome the desire to chew my nails i have not chewed my nails like that really ever i chew the skin around my fingers i do too in the winter time because they get dry exactly i feel that's it's still That's still, it's still a little bit of a of a soothing self-soothing mechanism mm-hmm. but but it it is more of like a i don't know i'm grooming myself a little bit whereas the nails thing got to be very like i wasn't grooming myself i was just like no i had the same problem when i was really little and chewing chewing my nails down to the point where they would get a little bloody mm-hmm. really raw mm-hmm. i realized as we were moving around a lot when i was a child i felt like i didn't have any control because i would we'd move to a new place i would just get settled in and i would start to make friends and then we were told after a couple of years that we were moving someplace i didn't know of and i i observed when i got to be in my early 20s when i moved to after i moved to new york that when i was and i was in in counseling at the time and my counselor had me do some reflection on my life and i realized how my addictions correlated with a, f- a feeling of powerlessness. Yeah. As a child, and I know that that's a common thing for children. But, you know, in in doing a lot of reflecting on my life, which I do s- sometimes too much, I feel, I realize, and of course, being a quantum healer, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hypnotherapist. I give all these sessions I'm a life coach. I help all these people and I have for years and years and years. The underlying theme is addiction. And I really come to the perspective right now of it's I feel that addiction is actually necessary for humans to experience in third dimension because yeah. Because we all do. And it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist Tibetan monk. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, some spiritual saint. It doesn't matter who you are. This is a really difficult dimension to live in. This is a tough planet right now. This is a really tough planet. And the way that we can cope with it is through some form of addiction. It could be something so small to, and I mean, oh, <laughs> sorry about That's that. That's all good. <laughs> um, 
It could be so small, like we could consider chewing ice to be a small thing Mm -hmm. or biting the cuticles to be a Mm -hmm. small thing. Or, I mean, we, we, we have a tendency to categorize. We like to rank addiction. We do like to rank addiction. How heavily it. Alcoholism is very bad. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism mixed with pharmaceuticals is even worse. Mm -hmm. Heroin is so bad. Fentanyl Mm -hmm. is what he's a crackhead. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just smoke a little weed from time to time. I I, oh, I, you know, I, I did this or I did that. And. I don't see that there is any difference in any of them. It's just a matter of how you manage it. Mm -hmm. And are you aware that you are addicted? And are you aware as to why? I have some friends who, uh, I have some friends who know some, some high functioning meth heads, like people who take meth and have taken meth for years who work like high paying jobs who use it to like maintain a very high status life because it just allows them to work and work and work and work and work. Um, You know, so like I would always compare, I would always compare my, my relationship with weed. I would use that as a way to like understand other people's uh, history with substances. And a lot of people, a lot of people feel as though weed is not something that you can be addicted to in the same way that you can be addicted to in heroin. And I, I don't agree at all um, because I, I found I found that I could get into cycles of smoking weed where I would I would literally. I would just go to smoke like so frequently and continuously. I mean, it could totally defeats the purpose because you can only get so high smoking weed. Like there's a there's a cap to how high you can get. And I would hit the cap, but I would still do it anyway, because just to the act of doing it made me feel soothed. But the side effects to that were extreme anxiety. Um it would affect my the way my body functions. It would affect my appetite. And I would get super, super dehydrated. And then I would wake up in the morning and I would go to smoke before I would even drink water because it's just the act of smoking to me. It's I, I thought about this. It's like people can utilize something like heroin in order to forget that they live in a world where they are meant their entire purpose is just to consume regularly and taking something like heroin makes them feel just a little bit better about that reality and i was like i related to that a lot because when i would i would say that when i smoked the most weed i was probably the most jaded that i had ever been with the world the way that the world was my position in the world i was very unhappy with everything and i felt like i had no control And when I woke up, you know, even if I felt like shit, because it's like when you smoke that much weed, you feel really bad. It's like it it just dehydrates your body. It like sucks all the water out of it. Um, I even though I needed to hydrate like that was such a necessary thing. It's like the thought of like smoking weed and that feeling, it made me feel like if I did that first, everything after would feel just a little bit better. You know, I would I would I would care less about everything else. I would be less I would feel less powerless. And that to me is like 
it's the same thing as heroin. It's all the addicts that I've ever talked to. It's like that's the same thing that they go through. Is they they're tired of feeling powerless. That's why that's why people say that like a lot of people are homeless because they do drugs, but it's because people are homeless that they do drugs. Because when you are homeless, medicating through heavy drug use is one of the easiest ways and one of the only ways that people feel empowered to cope with their situation. With the fact, I mean, just think of the pipeline to get to homelessness. It, it's a series of events that make an individual feel very powerless and unable to affect the change that they want to see in their life. And drugs make them feel not even better, just that they don't have to care as much, which is why they do them. Well, I, you know, I've gone through a wide range of addictions. Chewing ice as a small child was one of the ones that I was I became first aware of realizing this might not be that good for my body and yet then I would go yeah but I'm getting hydrated you know I'm getting a lot of water into my body but then I would hear within but this might not be the best path for you to get that much water into your body <laughs> you know it was and I'll equate this astrologically it was you know it was the the Virgo lower aspect of Virgo and the higher aspect of Virgo, both talking simultaneously. And the justification, there's always a justification within in addictions, the ego will justify it. And I mean, smoking, tobacco came into my world through Papa through my father. And um, he smoked long before I was born, his father smoked cigarettes on the farm. And um, he just, of course, picked up that learned it from him. I think he was the only one out of his siblings who did. And I picked it up from him because I felt, and I remember feeling this way when I was really little, I could be like him. You know, I could relate with him. I could be closer with him. If I try his pipe tobacco, it became pipe. It was pipes. And then it was cigarettes when I was a baby. And then Nana said, you can't smoke cigarettes around her. You know, she's a baby. You can't smoke in the house. So then he'd sit outside and then he said, I felt it was really, he said, I, I knew that cigarettes were really bad. So he switched to pipe tobacco as if that's a whole lot better. The justification, of course. And then cigars on vacations. But he had to crack a window when we're doing road trips. And Nana said, you have to blow it out the window. I can't stand the smell. And, you know, when you're exposed to a father who just, it's for him, smoking was relaxation. And when you saw him at work where you realized that he was putting on a fake persona at his job being a minister, that was very clear to the child. And it's amazing how adults think they can hide themselves from children. And it's actually the children see more as children. We see more as children than we do as adults because <laughs> we're just so open. And I could see his, his fake demeanor publicly because it completely contrasted the way he was when he was at home. And I could see that he was tense publicly. And so as soon as he got home, he would smoke to relax. He would drink something that was very sugary in order to relax. And he always had ice in it. He would also chew ice. He liked chewing things. He liked chewing hard nuts. He liked chewing ice. He liked chewing hard, crunchy things because he had a lot of rage. And he's a very hot-blooded person. He sweats a lot. So I think it was just like, it was like a, it was a self-soothing mechanism, obviously. And Nana, 
I noticed would do the same thing. They very much were matched on this. She was more into the sugary stuff. Sugar was self-soothing for her because she had a very difficult childhood. So I just naturally gravitated to what my parents gravitated to because when you are that young, your parents are your gods and you want to be just like your gods. So I wanted to be just like them. So smoking was the next natural step. And my body, interestingly enough, I mean, obviously, a child's body didn't like smoking pipe tobacco. I associated the smell of pipe tobacco, that kind of sweet hickory woody smell to my father in his relaxed, open, receptive, come and sit on daddy's lap and let me let me bounce you up and down type of thing. So I associated pipe tobacco with a good feeling. And so I wanted to be just like him and take that in. My body immediately would go, oh my God, what are you doing? But interestingly enough, I would have memories while I was smoking pipe tobacco. And I would, rem- I would suddenly feel like a man on a horse smoking. That's all I would feel all the time. I would tell my sister about it and say, when I smoke, I'm a man, I'm riding a horse. And she would just go, what does that mean? And so I would tell her. I, and then I would go, I remember when I was a man on a horse and I would smoke. I said, they were cigarettes. You know, I'm like four, five, six, telling her this. And then she would say, Sonia, you're so weird. And I would tell my brother and he would say, oh, yeah, I remember that, too. He said, I remember being a cowboy. We were on a ranch. And then later on, my brother and I were doing some um, some dream analysis when we lived together in New York and realized that we both had lived lives as ranchers, cowboys in Montana and Wyoming in a life in the 1800s. And we smoked. And it was very natural for my brother and I to smoke. Our bodies didn't like it, but it was natural for us. So by the time I got to high school, I was smoking cigarettes full on. And just like what you were talking about, I mean, it got so addictive, but yet my body was going, you have to stop this. And the malnourishment and the dehydration and the exhaustion and the highs and the lows of smoking commercial tobacco was so awful. And my lungs were screaming at me. And, you know, and then, you know, and we called it pot back then. I did dabble in pot. It was awful. I never felt pot could be addictive for me. It literally just, it, it's like, it just slapped me with no. That's how it, I felt with alcohol. I think everybody oh, has yeah. like different substances that they go to. Yeah, for alcohol me, I, was not for you. I could never be an alcoholic because it was just like the the bodily harm so far outweighed the good feeling that it was like I just automatically felt repulsed. Alcohol, my body hated it, but because my father is an alcoholic and and I come from, and you do too, but it's not something you tapped into in your DNA. It's these are encoded in the DNA. And alcoholism is the number one addiction on both my mother's and my father's side of the family. And my brother and I are the ones that really picked up on that. And we also had a level of awareness because in our family, we just talked about everything with our families and people and their behavior and the psychology of it that 
we, my brother and sister and I were really aware that, well, geez, um, dad's family has all these alcoholics and now he's drinking. Mom's family, not only is there alcoholics in her family, but like several of her uncles on her dad's side of the family killed themselves through alcoholism. They were drunk always and depressed. And that was their way of coping with feeling like they just don't have any life purpose. They don't have any hope in life. And Nana also, she believed that uh, they were probably gay. They were probably homosexual. And that was absolutely not something at that time that would have been even accepted. Feeling that I have a, a sexual attraction to another man? No, and that and and homosexuality with with the masculine in her family is quite prominent, actually. And I remember talking with her half brother Terry, who is gay and married to my uncle Malcolm, and they both had speculated about that too, and said, oh, "I'm I'm sure they probably killed themselves and drank to you know kind of drank themselves to death is what they did." So that was something that was really easy to tap into. So when I started drinking at at fourteen fifteen. And I, I mean, I had alcohol from the time I was a little kid because of Papa. But I mean, of course, my body was like, oh, my God, this is horrendous. What are you doing? You know, the burn when you drink hard liquor that is going down your esophagus. Yeah. The burn was just like, oh, no. But the br- instant brain numbing and the alteration of the vision and the difference in the hearing and all of that. Um, was something that felt familiar. Mm. I know that it's not only from past lives, but because the life before this, uh, you know, my body died of alcoholism, but it's also from the family lineage and the DNA. It was something that was not, it felt, it actually felt natural to go into drinking alcohol. a lot of alcohol. people use alcohol as like, it's, it's like a way to feel uninhibited. Yeah, see, I never had that issue because my personality is not inhibited. See, For me, I got really scared when I would drink because I I had two experiences where I blacked out, and that oh, was that was really that. scary to me, especially yeah. the second time. And that was when I decided that I would stop drinking. And I, and when you told me that, and I said, "Good, I'm glad you backed." It was just out. really. It was just I don't like I don't like that lack of control. But I know that like I've. There are people that I know that like they drink a lot because they like that feeling of not being in control. I hated it. It's one of the reasons why after I I think I smoked three bongs of pot marijuana when I was in high school. I hated that feeling that I was out of the body and couldn't get back in. That's what happened to me all three times. And it was so easy not to smoke weed. Um, even though I did it a lot because that's what everybody was doing. Alcohol, on the other hand, was almost natural for me to go into and to party. And it, it was the only way in the state of Minnesota and anybody who's listening to this, who is, has any familiarity with Minnesota will know what I'm talking about. It's one of the only ways you can connect with people in that in that area. It's the only way you can connect with people in in less dense areas where we're just bored. We don't know what else to do. I mean, I think it's just a common human condition is to drink alcohol in order to connect socially because there's nothing else to do. That's our that's a program that we run. And going from 
one of the largest high schools in the state of Minnesota in a suburb of Minneapolis to one of the smallest high schools in the state of Minnesota in the north, just outside of Duluth, off of Lake Superior, um, there was nothing else to do. And I'm 15, and I'm the only kid left, being the youngest, and they moved me. And Papa was out of control at that point with the alcoholism. And I was his verbal and mental and emotional punching bag when he was drunk. And so you either join the party or, you know, I was no, there was no option of running away and going to New York. I was very focused on what I was going to do. So I joined the party. It was not fun. I have very few memories of high school. Um, Nana used to say to me, oh, yeah, you know, you used to do that when you were in high school. And I'm like, I did. Don't you remember? And she would remember all these details. And I had no memory because I was drunk, stoned. And I mixed pharmaceutical pills with that. And I smoked cigarettes on top of it all. And so literally spending three very concentrated years in my development of being on substance, a minimum of four days a week. Dehydration is so bad. And we were, I wasn't drinking water back then. I was drinking soda pop. And I was eating fast food, almost only fast food and fried and cheese. And so we have malnourishment going on. It was anemic, angry. And not only do I have a food addiction, but I have a media addiction because cable television had just boomed. I'm the first MTV generation, music videos, things become more edited. You're listening to pop music. That was when the European invasion came into this country. And you're listening to everything. You're going out and you're buying cassette tapes were new. And you're buying every cassette tape. Flashdance and Footloose was released in the movie theaters. And there was a whole new dance craze. Everything was accelerating. And... The very first computers were introduced to the public, and I was the very first generation to have to take a computer class at the end of high school. So uh, you, how do you cope with all that? You're wasted. And so when I moved to New York as an 18-year-old, going to a professional musical theater school, oh, there is no room for that. You cannot perform. At least I couldn't. And party. Yeah, me either. No, and so that was when Higher Self and the Guides, and it's like they got me away from my parents, who I was very much my parents' child. I was the epitome of my parents. And it's like I moved away from them, moved clear across to the other side of the country on the East Coast from the Great Lakes states, and I began to hear Higher Self Guides constantly in my sleep. And I mean, it was dramatic. Sonia. <laughs> I'm like, what? You're going to eat this. You're going to drink this. And they put me on water. Now, at that time, New York City tap water was filtered. It had to be. And so they literally were telling me, I'm going to start drinking the tap water. I'm like, oh, no, the tap water tastes like garlic or it tastes like bleach. I don't like that. They said, no, you're going to drink the water. So the very first time I tasted water, which was my second week of living in New York, it was so sweet. I became addicted to water and I'm like, I'm addicted to water. And I already knew what addiction was. So I'm going, I think this is a good thing. I think being addicted to water is good. So I was literally identifying through addiction 
everything. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to switch from these addictions and I'm going to go into these addictions. And I went on a diet because I was overweight. My body was in a state of inflammation. And so then it turned into health being an addiction and it can be. And as you know, health has been an addiction and at times bringing me really out of balance. I became addicted to working out. I was addicted to working out when you were growing up. I moved way too much. I was on, I, I went for too many walks. I walked on the treadmill too much. I would walk on the treadmill until my legs became numb and I was almost falling off the treadmill. Remember that? No, but I, shared I believe that with it. You. Oh yeah. It was, I mean, it became really a problem. Movement, movement, movement. And of course, from the time I was 20, there were distorted perceptions of my body and wanting control of the body. And I was in New York in the whole Broadway and, and movie and music industry and dance, professional dance industry and music video, hip hop industry from the mid 80s all the way up until I was pregnant with you. And I modeled in New York briefly. There's a lot of you got to look a certain way and hey, we have a good plastic surgeon. And I'm like, what? But you want to work. And so when you want to work, you're actually going to consider what they're telling you. And so in the modeling industry, I mean, it is a sick industry. There's nothing positive in the modeling industry. Nothing because I was in it and it was so creepy, awful, awful, awful. It, it, I got definitely traumatized from the modeling industry and it was so corrupt and addiction's the only way you can cope. Um, being a professional dancer, I didn't know any dancer that did not have an eating disorder or was not looking at, I'm just not going to eat. Or the ballerina diet was coffee, scones, bagels, or a muffin for the whole day on five hours of ballet bar, five hours of ballet classes training. And then we wonder why their bodies break down by the time they're 40 and they have to have hip replacement surgeries, knee replacement surgeries because of malnourishment, extreme malnourishment. Now I know that the dance industry has changed a lot of that because in dance, the athletic look is in. Mm. So they are encouraged to eat and eat a lot of protein yeah. and go to the gym. And I don't see that as an improvement, honestly, because then it's, well, what am I eating? Blah, blah, blah. But and then, of course, then there's the whole bodybuilding industry and the extreme addictions to steroids and heavy animal proteins and protein powders and fake foods, et cetera, et cetera. So I moved into that whole genre with addiction. And I, you know, when I finally, it was what brought me out of addiction with, with food or no food was literally going raw plant-based. Mm -hmm. That's when I saw all of it because that's, my natural diet. Yeah. And I, my body completely calmed down. It took some years to do that, but my body calmed down and I, I stopped looking for my body to look a certain way because there's that hypercriticism that comes with the Virgo ascendant and reflecting on all of it. I could see the algorithms of my addictions. Mm -hmm. I could see. So when you have one addiction, they'll piggyback each other. Mm -hmm. You'll have double, triple, quadruple addictions. Mm -hmm. And we talk about having, you know, that old saying of having 
she has an addictive personality. Yeah, I think everyone has an addictive personality. <laughs> I've 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 not Everybody met does. somebody who does not have yeah. an addiction because I think that it is addictions that power uh, your ability to do things. I mean, at least I for, I haven't personally ever met anyone who is not exceptionally good at something that they're not addicted to. Like everyone that I've met that is a master of a specific skill or something, it's because they are addicted to that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I feel like we go through the addiction cycles in order to learn about our darkness. I'm breaking this down spiritually, literally basis on frequency. I think that I think that every I think that there's a reason why we go through addiction. I think I it's literally it's you you have to go through some level of addiction so that you can learn something about yourself. You can learn something about yourself and when we come in is into these bodies we could stay in our higher frequency etheric forms but I don't feel like in third dimension that we can really experience being human unless we come into some sort of behavioral pattern that and the pattern is literally an echo of the oneness we have to come into that behavioral pattern and that shows us the darkness so that we can experience our fears because addiction is masking the fear we have the ego doesn't want to deal with its fears. And so we go into something that's going to pull us off of our center so that we don't have to see what it is that we're afraid of. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of our power when we are in third dimensional perception. And to go through the addiction process is to understand that duality here in 3D, we are in duality and you have to experience your darkness in order to be here. You can't be here without experiencing it. And addiction is the path of experiencing your darkness and you can't avoid it. I don't know anybody who's been able to avoid addiction. No one avoids addiction. Yeah, I've, no, I've everybody, never met I've, somebody either. No, everybody that I know has an addiction. And so I've had, I've had quantum healing clients who you talked about this before I went on my whole, my whole story about my addiction journey. And you talked about highly intelligent people and very successful people who are high-functioning addicts. My father was a high-functioning addict. I was, Nana, actually, Nana was amazed that he could continue to serve a church and be that drunk. And he had, I know we would observe him. He would put a limit on how much he would, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get blackout drunk. He was never blackout drunk. He was functioning drunk. And, but after a while, his body began breaking down and he couldn't hide it anymore. And that's when it really became a problem for him on a health level. It was a problem for him mentally and emotionally right from the start, but it, it became physically debilitating for him. And I've had quantum healing clients who work for high tech, who have cocaine addictions and can function and are brilliant. And are not comfortable with their brilliance at all. And so they use cocaine 
in order to deal with their own brilliance and feeling like they are out of place in the world. I have had several clients who are professional airline pilots for couriers, for major airlines, and they either, and they all told me this, I've had three, three of these clients, and all three of them gave me the exact same information. Airline pilots in order to function are either caffeine and sugar addicts or they're alcoholics, one or the other. Now, those three were all caffeine sugar addicts. And you could tell by looking at their bodies. They look like they permanently sit and they look like Santa Claus. They were all men. And they said, this is, this is how you are able to take long flights and be able to function. But what we learned in their quantum hypnosis sessions, and I never made any of their sessions public at all. They're not on my YouTube channel or anything. What they shared was in their session, what they learned, and this was something that was really revealed to them. And after they came up from hypnosis, they were like, I already knew that, but it's so crazy that I needed my higher self to tell me that. Your body's not functioning. You now have cancer. You've got kidney adrenal failure. You have prostate cancer. One of them had bladder cancer because of all the coffee. And the monster drinks that he consumed and the nervous system is blown out and he's got all these health problems and his vision's not working correctly because he's got malnourishment. He's got chronic dehydration. He's got malnourishment. I have had attorneys. I've had doctors, nurses, psychiatrists. A lot of nurses come to me for sessions and have some massive addictions. I've had two ER nurses come to me for healing sessions when I used to give them person all the time. And one came for a QHHT session when I first was certified in practicing. Massive inflammation in her body. And then it turns out that she's got a prescription drug addiction. It's one of the biggest problems with hospital staff is their prescription drug addiction. High functioning. So they learn how to take a pill to get them up. And then they learn how to take a pill at night to decompress. Yeah, it's the pharmaceutical addiction is is most commonly seen amongst people who are high functioning from from what I gather. Oh, it's I totally. mean, if you just look at like, for example, the amount of like moms, stay at home moms who are addicted to pharmaceuticals, addicted to pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. that was given to them at their birth at mm-hmm. when they birthed their babies mm-hmm. or they have anxiety, postpartum depression. I gave birth in the hospital. I go back to my doctor, my my OBGYN, and he or she puts me on a pill to help me with postpartum depression. It's something that my naturopathic doctor, licensed midwife, Dr. Liz, she and I had numerous discussions about this when I went in for my checkups or I took you guys in for your well child checkups. And... It is one of the reasons that she became a naturopathic physician was to instead, you know, she's, I, I love when she used to say, you know, I'm going to make up one of these homeopathic or these, you know, naturopathic herbal concoctions. And she would say, it's voodoo, but it works. <laughs> she loved, she, she was like, no, we use voodoo. We use earth medicine. And she said, and that's, that's how we get the system balanced. But she and I had talked about addiction a couple of times as well. And I'm like, you can't escape addiction. She goes, no, I, I really realize that. No, we can't escape addiction. She said, I feel that we can learn to manage our addictions and to balance them and to function with them. But she said, I realize that addiction is is just a basic part of the human condition. Now, I know from our evolving now, as we are in a more of an acceleration 
point in ascension as we're moving into uh, a higher consciousness that we are becoming more aware of our addictions. And I feel that our intention, at least for those of us that are helping to really take the lead in this higher consciousness movement in humanity, I'm one of those people, is awareness of our behavior helps us to heal ourselves because we do need to heal ourselves from addiction. We come in, we experience our darkness through addiction, but I really feel like kind of the mission of the soul is to heal through the addiction. The addiction I see, this is what I was telling you earlier that I wanted to share with you while we were recording the the episode. Our focus is to use the addiction to become more aware of ourself. The addiction is actually a very amazing tool. And we have to change our perception mm-hmm. on everything. Just like we talk about, you can look at the tree. The tree is always going to be there. Mm. How are you looking at the tree? Mm-hmm. Addiction exactly. is there, but are we going to see it as, oh my God, I'm an, I'm an addict and I need to go to AA and Al-Anon and do the 12-step program. Well, the 12-step program is just another step of addiction. Methadone is just another level of addiction for a heroin addict. I know I've had clients who have a methadone addict. Uh, The patch is just another level of addiction from the addicted smoker. But when we change our perception on the addiction, the addiction is actually a tool to learn about your darkness. Yeah. Because you want to learn about your darkness and Avoiding it, using addiction to avoid it just keeps you looping and then Mm. you're suffering. Mm -hmm. Then you're suffering your experience. You don't need to suffer your experience. Nobody needs to suffer. Suffering's a choice. You can look at your darkness through accepting eyes. You can literally accept your darkness. I have. I have all kinds of dark thoughts. I observe them. I accept them. They are in my body. They are coming from my DNA. They're coming from my cells. It's a natural part of me being in this body is to have dark thoughts. It's completely natural. So I have clients who come to me and they're crying and they're self-judging and you know they have the whole they have the whole patriarchal programming going on and this is good and this is bad. And I mean, I've heard it all. I've had, I had a pedophile as a, a, a client years ago. I've had people who have think that they've done heinous crimes to children, to animals. And it's all about how they perceive it. And I say to them, what are you learning about yourself through this? What is it teaching you about yourself? Is it teaching you about self-acceptance? Is it, you know, this is all about you learning to accept all these parts of yourself and love yourself. And people say, people will say to me, I do something so awful. I, I don't even think I can share it with you. And I, and I'll, I'll kind of chuckle and I'll say, well, just so you know, you came to me because I'm a psychic. <laughs> so I can see these things. What are, you, what are you seeing? And I say, oh, first of all, I see that you're judging yourself and I'd like you to stop. Because you're having a human experience and everything that you're experiencing is valid. Everything. Second of all, this is what I'm getting off of you. And then I'll see the pieces of the addiction. And then they're, and they're tears. You know, that's a really great way to help them to release what they're holding on to. Because that's how we're going to get to the healing. Our goal is to get to the root cause. 
of the issue because the root cause is the part of yourself you're afraid to look at. And I will tell you that every single root cause is, I'm afraid of my power. I'm afraid of my light. I'm afraid of my creativity. I'm afraid because why? I'm like, why are you afraid of this? Because then I have to own up to it. Then I have to take responsibility for my life. Yes. And then we get down to, and here's the conclusion that I came to this year in 2023. Humans are addicted to being a victim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Addicted to being a victim. The victim consciousness is the root cause of the problem with humanity. It's why humanity is in its current situation it's in. Mm. Oh my God, there's a virus. Oh, da, 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 da. I'm so afraid. I'm a victim. Oh, I got it. That's where it's coming from. It's all coming from a victim. Because when you're a victim, you don't own up to your power. You don't have to take responsibility for yeah. your life, your behavior, what you say, your thoughts. And when you begin, when you begin to raise your frequency and come into a higher consciousness, becoming awake, you realize that you're the one who's creating all of this. Yeah. And then you have to take responsibility for every action, every thought. But the ego sees that as daunting. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. That's so much work. Oh my God, Ben. Yeah, but. And then, you know, there's the reasoning and the rationalization that the ego goes through that. Yeah, but that means that that person that I attracted or that ex-boyfriend or my my ex-wife or I'm not responsible for attracting him or her. He did this to me and she did that to me. And there's the victim. I'm powerless. That's what it all comes down to. And so when you look at that, then you're like, OK. And then you flip the switch on your perspective on addiction, on victim, on power. For me, when I finally decided that I was going to take responsibility for my life, that happened at the end of the marriage. That's how I was able to get out of it. I took responsibility for myself. I was like, all right, if I'm responsible for everything, then I'm responsible for the way he is behaving towards me. That was huge because my ego then had to go from being a victim to, or I'm going to own up to this. What's the part that I'm playing in this? Why am I playing that role? And then that went back to my parents and that went back to past lives. And, and then I literally had to just start taking responsibility for everything. I'm respon I take responsibility for past lives. I take responsibility for choosing the parents that I chose. I take responsibility for the man that I married. I take responsibility for this. I take responsibility for that. I take responsibility for my brother abandoning me. Why would he abandon me? Well, maybe in another lifetime, I abandoned him. Then, because that ties it all together. And then when you do that, then there's the ego process of grieving, 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 grieving. But then there's an empowerment that comes out of that. Then you come into your body more and you start realizing, okay, well, if I have responsibility over that for myself and my own life and what's happening in my life, I'm responsible for that. I can make the changes. Mm, mm -hmm. I can make the changes. And that's when I started making the changes. And it's actually a lot easier to take responsibility and see the changes and see the positive happening than it is to continue looping in the victim role. Mm. Yeah. 
It's so much easier. I mean, I've watched this with you. Mm-hmm. I've watched you take responsibility and verbalize to me your processes. And again, through meditation, just like we talked about last week's episode, through meditation, I've seen you take responsibility and own up to all of your behavior. And I've seen you analyze and share with me, you know, that's why I was like that when I was a teenager. Or I saw, you know, I, I reflect upon my behavior and I can see how I was this way, how I behaved this way. And I began to own it. And as you owned it, you be started to become very empowered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just because obviously it's like if you see a reason for something, then you also see like how you can make the change that you want to make. So, But you decided to make that change. Not everybody does. Again, well, but, you decided but, not to but be it's lazy. Just that, it's just that flip. It's it's like just what you were saying. It's that, it's that flip of... Um, <sighs> You know, if you're if you're constantly looking at the future and you're constantly looking at all the steps that you have to take, then it just seems like a lot of work, you know. But the thing is, when you yeah. actually start taking the steps, when you minimize it down to like, what can I do each and every single day? It's not really so much about work. And you open yourself up to the fact that like change is inevitable. So you may not necessarily follow all the same steps all the same time. Like you can use that with your goals, too. That's kind of how I became more addicted to like the life that I actually wanted to be addicted to, you know, like the actual like hard work ethic life that yeah. I actually wanted. The like actual a, a daily practice. Taking action towards like the goals that I really wanted, because I just realized that a lot of a lot of for me, what was making up uh, negative addictions was the fact that uh, the things that I was addicted to were uh, not bringing me closer to the version of myself that I idealized and that I wanted to be. That's right? it. And so, so- that's, that's why it was negative. Uh, if if I wanted to be somebody who just smoked weed all day, I, then it wouldn't have been a problem. But that's not who I wanted to be. I wanted to be, I wanted to be, uh, first of all, in really good shape. Uh, and I was too tired and drained to ever work out. Um, I wanted to be someone who was good at social skills and I was too anxious to go and actually practice. I wanted to make continuous progress towards working on my goals to become a musician. But yet again, I was too anxious and too tired to really work on it very hard. So, uh, by acknowledging that and by cutting out the thing that was really holding me back, you know, it, it, it allowed me to start working on it and and the reason why I didn't do those things to begin with is because I just I thought that it would be really hard. I thought that it would take a lot of like really really hard work. Um I guess depending on your perspective it does, but honestly I one of the biggest things I've learned from being a creative is that you really you can't expect that all the steps that you take like if you if you have a goal, right? And you're like, "Okay, I need to do XYZ to get there," right? Like maybe when you get to X, maybe the goal changes a little bit and then you do something different. You know, it's like that's natural. As long as you're constantly progressing towards the thing that you want in the moment, that's really all that matters. You don't you don't have to like you don't have to uphold all the like, you know, steps throughout your entire life. Follow that exact same path. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I just acknowledge that like I'm somebody whose vision of what I want constantly changes a little bit. So like I have to be malleable to that change, but I still have to like take the steps in the moment, you know, and and that kind of changed it for me because it's a lot easier to achieve when it's like just a day by day thing rather than being like a I have to follow this life plan to get to where I want to be, you know? Well, yes. And we have to live in the now. Mm -hmm. I decided 
that I was going to shift my addictions into healthy addictions. And I had to categorize it that way. And so when you were born, it became a daily yoga practice. It was addictive immediately because it felt the same as dance to me. So it switched to yoga because I knew that my dance career was over. And having a dance career is very finite anyway. It's a dance, dance careers are meant for young bodies. I had then given birth to you. My body was completely distorted at that point. And I was like, okay, well, I got to get my body back to a different place. So I decided that yoga was going to become my next addiction. And then, and then when I was pregnant with Mars, um, my body demanded more nourishment. So it became daily juicing. And then I decided that daily juicing vegetable juices with a little bit of fruit in it, a little bit of apple was going to become my next addiction because it made me feel good. And I got a really good physical result from it. And so I was in that perspective at that time. Okay. Now I'm going to become addicted to green food, green leaves, because I was anemic. And the only way I could give birth at home in the water is if my iron count was much higher because you have to have healthy hemoglobin for that. So I became, I decided my next addiction was going to be to green leaves because I didn't like greens before I had you. So that became my next addiction. And I focused on it like that. And it was literally through practicing these things daily that I shifted my perception on that. And I realized, and I began literally marketing my work in this way. You can have addictions or you can have a daily practice, healthy practices. Like I'm still a singer. I'm a light linguist. I channel light language. And when I channel light language during the day, I no longer am speaking light language in my sleep. I give it an outlet. But I also still give myself moments, not every day, but when I feel like, yeah, but there's, I'm channeling a lot of light language, but I don't really know what I'm saying. And it feels good to me. But I'm not fully conscious in my body when all the stuff is coming out of me. And so there are times when I just need to sing a standard or a Broadway tune. And I know it's dated. And, you know, I know a lot of the songs are codependent songs. <laughs> I can't live without you. Da, ba, da, ba, da. I can't breathe without you. But <laughs> they are. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm defaulting back to music that I know that makes me feel good as my voice opens up. And I'm hearing myself, but yet I'm singing codependent addictive songs. <laughs> I'll try to make different songs and non-lyrical music and things like that, non-lyric music. But it's like, I realized that there are these daily practices that we need to do in order to just be really centered in the now in our bodies. For you, it's music it's also working out. You and I are completely alike on that one. It's also being in nature. Like I find that being in nature is, if I could just live outside and just, you know, sleep in a little tiny home and just be out in nature every day, almost all the hours of the day, I would be absolutely mm. blissfully There's a, there's a happy. lot of things for me. I would say that like, one of my favorite addictions that I've ever had was reading. Um, whenever, oh my God, whenever yeah. I read, reading is a great addiction for me because it, it, it actually, um, it forces me to be in the moment whenever I read, especially if I read like now, like when I read now that I'm older, it's a little different because like I'll usually read things that make me like think a lot. So I'll like read something, it'll make me think and I'll go like, huh, and I'll like pause to like, <laughs> reflect on that for a little while you and, remind uh, me of when you were little you would sometimes read 
very thick book in one day. That was not uncommon if it was a Saturday and you weren't going to school. And yeah, part, part of that was also I was at that point addicted to feeling smart. So I, I wanted to feel really smart. And then you would, you would like, and so you were so funny because you would, I think we lived in the townhouse at the time. You'd come upstairs while I was in the kitchen making dinner. You'd come up and your eyes were all glassy eyed. You were, you were in another world. Yeah. And then you'd come up and you'd go, I just read such and such and such a book today. I, I just read the whole thing. You did. How many chapters was it? You know, it was like 120 chapters. And then you'd say, do you want to see the book? I do. And then you'd bring me the book. I mean, it was freaking thick. And, you know, you started it as soon as you woke up in the morning. Yeah, that, that was that was too much. I barely remembered any of that book after a period of time. You, <laughs> and then I just that's too much for me. It was. But it was a challenge. It, I did it because I wanted to challenge. I myself. know you did. And you told me at the time and you looked like you were high. Your yeah. eyes looked like that. You know, pupils. Were... That was that was a little different. That's that's a dissociative <laughs> experience. I would say it I don't read that heavily was. anymore. And then it was like at night and you finally finished it and you only you only came up for a dinner break. And then you're like, you know, I did this whole thing. And you were so proud of yourself. That was such an accomplishment. I, you know, I was just always like, that's amazing. And wow. And what did you learn from the book? What was your biggest takeaway? And then you knew the whole story. You were telling me the whole story. And yeah, I mean, you would do that every once in a while. You would read a whole book, especially, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Mm -hmm. The Hobbit or Harry Potter. Some books. I mean, it's a good way to find like a book that really sticks with you. But I would say that like my my reading habits now are I take a lot more time when I read things and I I really like I'll I'll like read things specifically. I'll look for stuff that like really is like relevant to me in some way or informative or like means a lot or provides some level of philosophical like realization for myself, uh, some level of information. I'll read it. And like, maybe I'll read like, you know, a page or two and I'll get to something that's really interesting and I'll like pause for a little while to like think about that thing. So I would say that actually like now reading is a little bit more of a present. Uh, it's a, it's like more like a meditative experience. It's, it's more about being in the present. I think when I was younger, reading was more about escaping from the present and being in a different place. It so, was. It was how you coped with our family situation. Mm-hmm. It's like a different, it's just a, it, it's, it's, it's a different type of addiction i guess it is no i mean i used fasting for that purpose fasting was a way that i felt like i could be in control in a situation that i didn't feel like i was controlling and then and then i i backed off from the intense intense fasting i also was changing my body and and going through a huge detox but i learned the balance in all of it and and it it's been a process of learning the balance and all of it. And, you know, when I look at what addictions I have, I mean, food is an addiction. It is. I, I would love to not have to eat every day. I feel like that's an addiction. And part of that is, we, you know, we get bored. We want to experience taste and texture mm. and smell and all of that. I wish there were more, like, better options for food. I, I think that's the biggest thing because, like, eating food is great if it doesn't have like a negative effect on your body. Yeah. Eating food for me makes like, I know that my body has, and I mean, I, as you know, I have like the purest diet of anybody that I know, but after I, after I eat 
you know, a bowl of greens. Your body does not like food. My body doesn't like food and it needs it. It requires it and it goes through a struggle with that. Yeah. And there's definitely a duality that goes on with that. So I feel exhausted. Mm-hmm. After I eat fruit, I don't feel exhausted. Mm-hmm. But after I eat my, my raw protein bowl, I feel exhausted, but yet my body needs that protein bowl. That's the dichotomy of it. Mm. My body needs it because I have definitely practiced, as you know, for long periods of time, not eating that. And I was not in the best health because of it. So it's, it's challenging. And I've, yeah, I would, I would love to, another addiction that I have that I would love to not have is the addiction to the screen. Mm. I would love to, I mean, I remember for me too. It's huge. I, I remember the days when I really wasn't into the screen as much. And of course I was born in front of a screen basically because I'm a television generation. Oh, it's hard. Cause it's like literally our entire lives are based around the screen. It is based and around the screen. They're only becoming more based around the screen. They are because 100% of my work. Mm hmm. I work four jobs and I'm opening up an Essence of Energy Center with a group of amazing people and all of that is on the screen. I can't do any of that without the screen. Um, Right now, my community is through the screen. I, I, it's through an apps and I, I won't have community unless I have my screen. Uh, Cause I don't have any community here where we live. I've got you boys and I can't do any of that. I Right now, I cannot teach yoga if it wasn't for the screen. Mm. Never used to be that way. But mm. it's so I'm on the screen all the time. I also don't have a watch. Watches don't work for me. They don't work in my presence. So I have to use my cell phone for my watch for a timepiece. Yeah. But that's why when I go to sleep, there is there are no screens in mm. my room and nothing is plugged in except for my analog Zen alarm clock. That's it. Everything else is unplugged from my walls. And two years ago, that's when I said, that's it. No screens. And I realized from literally the first week of sleeping without my cell phone in my room on airplane mode. I slept so well for the first time in years. And that was when it really became very clear to me. I have a screen addiction. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh yeah, but I could live without the screen. But then I'm like, okay, the scamdemic started and I can't work in person anymore. Mm-hmm. I have to work online and I'm online all the time and that it's taken a toll on my body. Mm-hmm. I've noticed the effects that it has. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would love to, um, and, and I have not taken a a tech fast yet. I would love to take, well, I guess I did technically take a few hours of a tech fast a couple of weeks ago when I forgot my cell phone and we went out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Intentional fast. (laughs) I know, but no, I I would love to get to the point where I can take a tech fast and experience, Mm. um, at least one day, at least 24 Mm. hours with zero tech. And, you know, I can, yeah, I think it's like you, you do have to fill it with something else, though, because it's like nature. It's yeah, it's so hard to not do something no, if I'm you going if you nature. have nothing else to like to to fill that space. Like like today, I just spent all this time sewing it's time I that I normally would have spent on my computer, but I spent it all sewing. That was good. If I didn't have that, I probably would have still spent all that time on the computer. But you the would. sewing created the break for me. 
that I needed. It did, and you were really good, and your sewing was really good. I enjoyed it I a lot. It was a lot of fun, and I I feel I think uh, I think a little bit more present and clear. And so there's there's need for other types of tasks. And so this is why I think when it comes to like balancing addiction in your life, you you really have to like. You have to fill your life with a lot of different activities. Like it can't just all be like the same thing cuz it can be you know like there there are addictions that like there are addictions that you do out of like necessity but like you have to like find a way to do other things. Like take time to do other things that are like addictive and like challenge you and to develop your well, skills and you know? help you to feel fulfilled like mm-hmm. for me i you know i i did not do all my jobs today i didn't mm-hmm. need to we just did our our patreon group and our one long conversation in this and i actually rested i meditated this morning longer than i usually do i actually had you know pluto sleeping a little bit with me this morning and instead of being on the screen all day today, I mean, I was listening to podcasts, but I didn't have my phone anywhere near me while I was listening to the podcast, but I cleaned our home today. Completely satisfying. I watered the plants. You know, I did domestic stuff, which I mean, I did that full time when you were growing up. I was a full time mom for 15 years. I really wasn't actually on the screen a whole lot when you were growing up because that's when I was getting rid of television. Mm-hmm. I used to watch a lot of movies when you guys would nap and when I was, you know, jumping on the trampoline and stuff like that. But I spent so much time cooking and cleaning and raising you kids and homeschooling and going to the library to get educational materials for you. We listen to a lot of music. Mm -hmm. I don't listen to music anymore. Mm -hmm. Not much. Only when I'm driving north and and I just need to sing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't spend that much time on the screen. and, And I know that once my financial situation balances out, I will be able to get back to, you know, having, I I want, my intention is to have one full day of no tech and nature and relaxing. I mean, I took a detox bath today. It was Mm. so great. Yeah, Things like that. And so, yeah, you have to replace, you have to replace addictions with something that is really healthy and pleasurable. Yeah, something ideally... Like what I always find to be the best is like you have to set up like some level of reward for yourself because everything that you're addicted to is based on the reward that you get from it. And for the the more like intense addiction addictions, it's usually a very, very easy reward for very, very little risk. Um, yeah. So finding things that... Finding things that are like, you know, comparable, at least somewhat in terms of like risk reward, like developing a skill is a really easy way to like, you know, it's a really easy way to like translate addictive behavior over because like when you work on developing some new skill, like getting really good at it, you get really addicted to the process of getting good at that thing. So when you achieve something in whatever that thing is that you're doing, that's like your brain rewards you with a lot of a lot of drugs, a lot of dopamine. It starts pumping it out every oh, time yeah. you get something to to work in a way that you weren't yeah. able to work it before. Every time that you get like a reaction from somebody where they're like, wow, that's really good. I'm impressed. It's like your brain is rewarding you for all that. And so you want to do it more. So it's like dexterous skills, hobbies, art, 
um, science, literally any anything like you just got to like try a lot of things and find the thing that appeals to you. And like you can make a life full of like balanced addictions that are that work for you rather than like you sacrificing some part of yourself to like basically to like just, you know, get very little out of it. I think that's where addiction becomes really like sad and unhealthy for people is when it's like the 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 reward is like very minimal compared to like the the intense level of like it's not risk, it's well, it can be risk. Just damage, I guess. Like if if you're if you're just sad and depressed all the time and it's like you know, you're the one thing that makes you a little bit happy is like, you know, smoking that cigarette and all you do is like spend all your time like smoking that cigarette, but you still like you're sad and depressed. Then like, you need to find it. You need to find like addiction. a different thing because the cigarette is like such a small momentary cure. But in return for that, the risk of you dying sooner is like so high it's it's not worth it it's like that thing is not actually helping you much at all you just have convinced yourself that it is because it's a a very it's it's a very little work to get that level of like dopamine you know but oh yeah but just like we said before it's like you you really start doing anything and you find out that it's a like it's a lot less work to get that dopamine than than you think it would be you know it is. It's not actually that challenging. And when you start to like, when you really start to make that transition away from those like unhealthier addictions, like you'll find that those things are actually draining from you, like usually physically, especially more than more than anything. Like when I really stopped smoking weed, I was like, wow, I have all this energy. You know, I have uh, now I can do all the things that I want to do because like I have all this energy. I don't feel anxious every time I talk to a person like I, I, I actually feel like somehow balanced and calm. Right. But for some reason, my brain was telling me that like beforehand, no, I needed this thing to feel like more confident and balanced and calm. But it wasn't doing that for me, you know, so it's like absolutely. No, I find it with food addictions, you're, and this is what I help my clients with, the underlying cause is malnourishment. So you're going to look at, first of all, your minerals. Mm-hmm. Are you absorbing the minerals that you're taking, or are you even taking minerals at all? What kind of minerals are you taking? As you know, I've had some wicked you know, chocolate cacao addictions, and the way that I've been able to get off of them is to make sure that I'm taking ionic minerals and that they are adequate because then... I lose my craving for the chocolate cacao. And so I help clients with that. Another, another, uh, there's a couple of, of clients that I've had in the past who were using sugar as a way to socially connect. Mm. My friends and I, we go to Starbucks or my friends and I, we go to a pastry shop or we go get, they go get a bunch of sugar. They go to a restaurant. And this is a regular thing they do every week and they're super unhealthy. How do I get out of this? Well, you're not going to leave the group of friends. Instead, suggest that your group of friends that you guys go to a tea house. Go get some tea. Go go out for a walk together instead. Be social, but do something healthy. Go to a juice bar. Mm-hmm. Go someplace where you're going to get something healthy together and you be the catalyst to do that. Mm-hmm. And I've helped a lot of clients shift from socially addictive behavior mm-hmm. that's not helping anybody to social healthy practices Mm -hmm. and everybody's been helped and it's been a win-win. And then in in one of those cases, the, the client who came to me, she ended up sending me every single person in that social group 
for a session and they're yeah. like, well, you really helped Nancy. And so, I mean, I, and so now we're going to this juice bar and, and now I want to see you because she's, she's already lost 20 pounds and yeah. oh my gosh. And, and then, you know, she saw me and then, you know, Sue saw me and then Sue's sending Dana to me. And then Dana's like, well, you've helped them. And, and then I got, I got all five of the friends and then everybody was on the same kick of, now we're going to get healthy together and now we're all going to go. And then once, one time, they all came to my yoga class <laughs> when I taught at the gym one time. And I'm like, go and take fitness classes together. There's solutions for this. It's not about letting go of the people that you love. You just change how mm-hmm. you get together. Mm-hmm. Those are always solutions yeah, for, for social think, addiction. I think a lot of people have a vision of like who it is that they want to be. And a lot of times I think a lot of people have like very similar visions. Like I want to be like, I want to be healthy. I want to like look good. I, I want to feel good about myself, right? It's like whatever, whatever it takes for them to feel good about themselves. But I, a lot of people just don't really feel like they can ever do the things that they really need to feel good about themselves no they don't and and you know just to kind of put the the end cap on on this this one long conversation when you are shifting out of a negative addiction the easiest path out of it is to first of all look at it acknowledge it and own it I have an addiction, blah, blah, blah. That's how I've been able to get out of my addictions. I completely own it. I chew ice. I'm destroying my teeth. <laughs> I'm chewing ice. It did. It's, it's, it's hurt my teeth. Mm. And then you, the people that you are with, you talk about it with them and then you create a healthier solution for that. But it's so important when we have addictions that we stop isolating ourselves thinking I'm the only one who's like this. All humans have addictions. And you can be the person in your world who talks about how important addictions are in order to learn from ourselves. You can be the person in your world who comes out with that and shows a different, healthier perspective of the addiction. You can be the one who does that. We certainly are. Thank you so much, everyone, for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. So you can leave us a response on our Q&A forms, which I know you can find on Spotify. I don't know if they have them on Apple, but I would check that out or any of the other platforms. Or we have a Patreon group where we do a one-hour-long Q&A session every single Sunday. So you can find us on Patreon, uh, Patreon slash One Long Conversation. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved in the process and uh, heal everyone collectively. That's, that's sort of the goal with this is inner healing for the self, for the collective, Uh, Let's just find the best way to do it, get it all out there, and uh, move forward. So thank you guys so much, and we will see you for next week's episode.